Welcome to the Top Flight Podcast. We are back with a triumphant return, and we've got a pretty interesting week to recap and to explore. My name is Asavan Bailey. I'm joined today by or- with Ori Benatar. How are you doing, Ori? How was your break? Break was good. Well, I didn't really have a break because I uh, spent the weekend filming and uh, getting stories ready for a television class, but school kept me busy. But other than that, the international break was interesting. I love to see uh, some of the games that happened over the break, and we had a really, uh, really intense week of Premier League action. We certainly did, and uh, congratulations. I want to let you know that uh, officially you have won the first week that we've been charting our picks and predictions for the Premier League weekend. You got four wins, two losses, and four draws. So you win the first week. Now, I guess we should, you know, let the listeners know that we have a small bet on who's going to win this predictions uh, kind of thing that we've been going on for the last couple weeks and couple months. So uh, do you want to mention it or do you want me to say it? I'm going to have you mention it. All right. I want to see, yeah. Okay, well, essentially, if you win or if I win... One of us has to send the other by mail, either through FedEx or whatever you got to do. You got to send the other a very expensive piece of meat because that will reveal who really is the man in this podcast. No, that's not really why. It's just a funny thing. If I get. Oh, yeah, because we have to have stakes. There are stakes to these predictions. That's the joke. I, you know what? Let's, let's put a laugh in there. <laughs> now, listen, this is going to be fun. You won the first week, so I'm behind you, but that does not mean. That does not mean that I won't come back with a vengeance next week. I'm going to get better with these picks. You've been pretty good so far, and you've been pretty close, but it's, it's a long season. we still got a ways to go. You're not, you're not the title winner yet. You're not Man City from last year. But uh, I think it was a pretty fun week, and it was pretty interesting to see that. I guess let's just go into it. Let's, let's start with our new segments for this podcast, and we're going to start with the biggest headline from the weekend. And I think it's pretty clear that the biggest headline from this weekend was the very surprisingly entertaining Manchester United versus Chelsea 2-2 draw, which had a lot of drama both on the pitch and off the pitch. Um, Jose Mourinho almost got into another fight at Stamford Bridge, but this time he was on the United bench instead of on the Chelsea bench. Um, It gave me some pretty intense flashbacks to when uh, Arsene Wenger pushed Jose Mourinho off the touchline in 2015. My goodness, but regardless of that and all the FA (laughs) charges that are being put down, what did you think of the match? Very crazy game. Uh, Higher scoring than I expected, but I thought that Chelsea were going to come out with the win, but second game in a row that Manchester United were able to get that uh, second half comeback. Good for them that they were down and then they come back. Anthony Martial, I think, is uh, is here to stay at Manchester United, and uh, he had a great game, two very nice goals, but... The, I think for Man U, the disappointing thing is, uh, besides the defense, is David De Gea. He has not been having uh, the type of season that we're used to seeing him in the Premier League. He hasn't been able to get those clean sheets. All the people who picked him for fantasy as their top goalkeeper, I, I'm in the position where I'm considering dropping him because he's not getting clean sheets and he hasn't been making the best of saves. But I think Chelsea, good for them to stay unbeaten. I didn't think they necessarily deserved it because they went down and got that late goal, but... Man, they still they gotta they gotta get a striker over the winter window because they desperately need someone in the center there to help them out. Yeah, I mean it, it's clear that Morata 
I, I really like Morata, but I don't think the system really fits his style of play. He's more of a classic Mourinho striker. You know, he's more of a counterattacking player. His hold-up play leaves a lot to be desired, and he's clearly lacking confidence. But, you know, it's when you have to depend on Olivier Giroud to be your main focal point striker, I know I worked out for France in the World Cup, but... I'm an Arsenal fan. I remember watching Giroud for many years and seeing just that he's not that clinical. He's a great player and he's you know very good at leading the line and getting passes and these one-touch uh, passes to uh, wider attacking players. And he's been great for helping Hazard have one of his best seasons in the Premier League. But uh, I don't know if you if you're Chelsea right now, who are you who are you looking to target in the January transfer market? I still can't. I still can't believe they loaned out Michi Batshuayi again. I don't get why. Give him a chance to play a full season for, for you, because he he's not a, he's a good goal scorer. And I think if he played a full season in the Premier League, he would only get better. And sure, he's not scoring boatloads of goals for Valencia, but he's he's scoring goals for them, and he's proved that he's a pretty good striker overall. So maybe getting him back in January. I don't think they would, but something like that. The other strikers available. Just thinking. You could go with a dark horse candidate, Catlin Wilson or Joshua King, possibly. I think one of them is bound to leave Bournemouth either in the winter or in the summer, just because I think they're both going to have really good seasons um, when it finishes. Other than that, who knows if Chelsea can maybe snag somebody else from Real Madrid, considering the situation that they are in. I mean, how bad they've been, and maybe Karim Benzema comes to Chelsea if they've got the money for him, so... I'm just spouting out names just to speculate, but there's a long way to go. But Chelsea's Hazard-dependent. They need Hazard to play well to succeed. I mean, their two goals were a Rudiger header and a Ross Barkley tap-in in the 96th minute and barely got them a point. And Chelsea can't win the title without a striker. No, I mean, that's 100% certain. I mean, sorry ball... Uh, which is a pretty impressive system, as we've seen in Napoli last season. And I think Chelsea, they're definitely ahead of schedule from what I think most people thought their season was going to be like. Um, But they really do need some kind of really, you know, very good hold-up player, but also a really good finisher and a really good counter-attacking kind of striker. You know, I was thinking uh, maybe they would need to go into the transfer market window and look at Serie A, maybe try to find a player like Iguain, or maybe uh, even though Iguain just recently moved to Milan, you never know with their finances, they may be forced to sell him. You also have Insigne, who doesn't usually play as a center forward. Uh, he usually plays on the left or right, but he might be an interesting player as well. Obviously, Sarri has a connection with him. Uh, he's a pretty talented player. He might be a little short for the Premier League, but he's still very technically gifted. You have Dries Mertens, who has experience in that center forward role in the Sarri ball system, uh, but he might be a little priced out. He might get, he might move to a, a bigger club than Chelsea even. So it's very interesting to see where Chelsea is going to do because it is clear that they cannot win the title if they don't get another attacker on the pitch. And, I mean, they have a, they have a really interesting team. Their defense is a little wobbly, as we saw, because United has not shown to be a, a particularly offensively-minded team under Jose Mourinho, as we have complained about on this podcast several times. But I still think that Chelsea... I have always had, I've had hesitations, you know this, I've had hesitations about them all season long, even though they have been impressive with their victories against lower level opposition, but that Arsenal game and, you know, the Liverpool game and the United game, there's, there are some chinks in the, in, in this armor for Chelsea. And I, I'm not really sure if they're going to be able 
to really sustain a title race the entire season, but you never know. It's just one game. Ross Barkley has been a revelation. Kovacic has been very good. Jorginho has been awesome. Conte, even though he's not being used in the way that you'd probably want N'Golo Conte to be used, he has been really, like, he's still good, and he's, he's actually scoring goals, which is interesting. It's just the attack, and it, it's funny that I can't believe I would say this, but Olivier Giroud is a better fit for a, a, a title-contending team than Alvaro Morata, which is just shocking. But uh, let's move on to the Manchester United side of this equation. What did you think about their performance? I mean, they were down 1-0 early. Uh, Pogba missed Rudiger on a corner kick, and Rudiger got a, pr- a free header. Um, pretty frustrating if you're a Paul Pogba, Paul Pogba fan like me uh, to see him make such a big mistake. But they eventually came back and was able to take a 2-1 lead due to uh, Anthony Martial brace. But, uh, you know, they gave up that final goal in the end, and it kind of ruined Jose Mourinho's return to Stamford Bridge once again. But uh, do you think there maybe this is uh, this could be the spark that really ignites uh, Manchester United season even more so than the Newcastle game last week? Maybe. I don't know quite yet. I still think that Jose Mourinho, at all this time he spent at Manchester United, this is already his third season there, he still hasn't found the starting 11 he wants to play. And Maurizio Sarri has been with Chelsea for only a few months, and we know who his midfield three is going to be. We pretty much know who that front three is going to be. Just the rotation between Willian and Pedro really is the big question. His defense is pretty consistent, too. Manchester United, Jose Mourinho is changing the lineup constantly, even in those weeks where Manchester United don't have a Champions League game and they have to rotate the squad based on fitness and things like that. Just weeks where they have a Premier League, Premier League, you know, three weeks in a row or two weeks in a row. He's still changing the lineup around. You know, Mata started with Martial and Rashford. Lukaku has not been able to score goals at all for United over the past couple of weeks. And obviously the defense has just been rotating like crazy all season. So until United and Mourinho know what their best 11 is, then I'll say that the spark can happen. But I think the best thing that happened to United this week is that a couple of the teams that were in the top 10 also did not perform very well. I mean, Bournemouth didn't win. Wolves didn't win. Uh, Tottenham didn't look that convincing against West Ham. Liverpool was not that good against Huddersfield. So United need those other teams to struggle, but they got to find that 11. Mourinho has to find his best team. Yeah, and I, you know, this is going to be a pretty important week. Obviously, Juventus is coming to town. Ronaldo is coming back. If United performs poorly against Juventus, it's going gonna, it's gonna to become way more likely that Mourinho is going to get out of the position as Manchester United manager, which would be pretty shocking. I, I don't think a lot of people would have expected that at the beginning of the year. I certainly didn't. We both had United uh, in the top four and possibly even challenging for the title. Um, this is an interesting position. Uh, they, if they would have won the game, our, all of this would have been completely different. And considering what happened afterward with the Chelsea coach uh, gloating in front of Mourinho, which even though he's going to get charged and he might get fired... I thought it was amazing. It was incredible to see just another coach be so blatantly disrespectful to maybe the most disrespectful manager in the history of the Premier League in Jose Mourinho. So uh, that was fun. Nice little just desserts there. But, you know, it's interesting. United has improved a little bit uh, in the last couple games in terms of their attacking talent. I mean... They just had to, right? I mean, Anthony Martial is one of the is a really exciting French attacker. Uh, Paul Pogba is a great player. Lukaku's had a kind of a struggle as he hasn't scored in seven games, which I think is the longest of his United career. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. We're going to have to wait and see how this Champions League week goes for United. And uh, when they play Manchester City later in November, that's that's probably what we're going to see as Mourinho's last stand. If he can beat City. Uh, then maybe he'll be able to last at least until the end of the season. But um, 
anything before then, we're just going to have to wait and see. But before we move on to some of our other segments, I wanted to ask you, what was your favorite game of the weekend? What, what game do you want to talk about a little bit before we move on? I kind of want to talk about Cardiff and Fulham just because of the significance of it. And, oh, my God, the Bluebirds played tremendous. And Fulham has the worst defense in the league officially. I mean, they've given up, what, 25 goals this season? Yeah, they've they've conceded 25 goals. They're in the relegation zone now. And I think, I think we can legitimately say that Fulham could get relegated. They didn't have a co- they they bought a bunch of great new players, but they bought mostly attackers. They did not get enough good defend defensemen to keep their defense half decent. They've conceded twenty five goals in nine games, and Cardiff just surprised everyone. I mean, they just came out of nowhere and scored four goals against this team after having not scored in their like first three games of the season. They've only scored eight goals all year, and great to see them get a first win and uh we'll see if they can keep that up because obviously we all said that cardiff would come in last in the league but right now you've got newcastle huddersfield and fulham in that relegation zone but that cardiff win in an early relegation six-pointer very significant so that was my favorite game of the weekend yeah that was my favorite game of the weekend and i'm glad you brought it up because that actually leads me into our new segment for this podcast which is our rant of the week this is where either you or i or one of our great writers over the topflight.com will provide a mini rant on one of, on a subject they want to talk about when it comes to the Premier League and my rant for this week is Fulham's defense. Oh my goodness, this is one of the worst defenses I've ever seen in the Premier League. This is this is third tier of English football bad. 25 goals conceded as you mentioned is insane. And even beside that it's okay if you're a Premier League team to lose to City by five goals. It's okay to lose to Arsenal 5-2. It's okay to lose to the big six by multiple goals. Like You're not expected to win those games. And while it may be sad for the fans, like you, nobody really expects to beat, beat them. But Cardiff City... You cannot give up four goals to Cardiff City. You have to go back to the drawing board. Cardiff City has a horrible attack. Yes, they scored two goals against Arsenal, whatever. That Arsenal has a horrible defense too. But Fulham, like, you have a lot of talented players. And I know that, and there's, there's even talent in the back line. Alfie Mawson is an England international. Callum Chambers is on the England U21 team. I mean, you have, uh, I think, Sergio Rico in the, in the goal. Uh, he's a goalkeeper, but he hasn't been playing that often. You have players. Ryan Sessegnon can play as a left back. You have players that are talented. They should be able to defend much better, but they just can't. I mean, it's crazy to me that this Fulham team is so poor at the back. There is no greater like indignity than to give up four goals to Cardiff. I don't care how well Cardiff can play that you have to cap their ability to get goals at two. I mean, it's just, it's crazy to me. And the fact that Fulham couldn't even fight back well enough to get more than two goals. Uh, of course, Sessegnon got his first Premier League goal, which was nice, but I, I'm, I'm genuinely worried about this Fulham team. And I, it's, it's, I want teams to be like Fulham. I want promoted teams to have an attacking style to want to have buy expensive attacking players but there needs to be some sort of balance. This is ridiculous, but it was a great game, but it was ridiculous. Yeah, it was completely ridiculous. Uh, should I give a rant now? If, you, have if a... you want, you don't have to give a rant. It's, we, can, we can give a rant if I'll you give want. A, I'll give a mini rant. I'll rant a little bit about Bournemouth and how I had Bournemouth tying Leicester nil-nil a few weeks ago, and they won 4-2. This time around, you know, I'm look. I see this Bournemouth Southampton game, and I'm predicting. I'm like, oh, I'm if I pick zero zero, Esteban's gonna kill me. So I pick three two. What happens? 
Oh, it's zero zero. What the hell, Bournemouth? Just get consistent. You you score four goals in a game and then you just play like like trash, as Danny DeVito would say, and always sunny. I don't I'm saying trash like that all the time now. But goodness me. I mean Bournemouth is still in six and they've scored sixteen goals, but they gotta find some consistency in there. And while Callum Wilson and Joshua King, I think, are gonna be targets in the winter for some better teams in England or maybe in like the mid table in Europe or towards the top four. Bournemouth has got to find some consistency because Southampton has, in my opinion, been one of those teams that has been really bad, but under the radar bad because of how bad Fulham and Newcastle and Cardiff have been most of the season. No one's really discussing how bad Southampton's been. They've scored six goals. They've won one of their nine games and they've lost five and Bournemouth should be beating that team at home. I agree. That was genuinely the most surprising result of the weekend. I had it queued up. I was ready to watch it. I was exciting. You know, we both predicted that Bournemouth would have scored at least three goals. And it's just crazy to me that uh, Bournemouth just laid an egg. I mean, Southampton was, is not exactly what we could call a defensive powerhouse of a team. But Bournemouth was just poor. Their passing wasn't as crisp as it was in previous weeks. I think the international break definitely came at the wrong time for Bournemouth. They're still currently uh, in sixth place in the Premier League, which is shocking. They have 17 points, five wins, two draws two losses. I mean, Bournemouth has been very impressive this season, but I, I find it absolutely hilarious that you did pick your Satwa correctly a few weeks ago. Uh, it just happened to come a few weeks later. I mean, we, we got to keep an eye on this. Bournemouth and Southampton, it should be a derby, but it's not a derby. Uh, they're both in the South Coast. They're both like 20 miles away from each other, and yet every season, they play a boring game, and we, ha- we have to remember that for next time, because it's just ridiculous that Bournemouth, one of the more exciting attacking teams in England, and I mean, I'm serious about that. They're more more exciting than Manchester United when it comes to the attack. Um, they just played like crap. But I, I still think Bournemouth is going to have a pretty good season. Now, this is an interesting question. We're going to we'll move on from our rants and all this kind of stuff. But before we do that, I want to look at the table really quickly. Um, the top five has been basically solidified at this moment in time. Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham, that's the top five at this moment. Um, they all have at least 20 points. Man City, Liverpool have 23, and then Chelsea, Arsenal, and and Tottenham have 21. Um, Seems like it could be a closer title race when it comes to these five teams, but from 6th all the way to 10th, you've got 17 points for Bournemouth, 16 points for uh, for Watford, 15 points for Everton, 15 points for Wolves, and 14 points for Manchester United. They are 7 points behind Arsenal for 4th place. 7 points. I don't think anybody would have would have expected that at the beginning of the season. I'm sure you're happy about that. Of course I'm happy about that. It's the greatest news I've heard all year, but it's just I do you think that is this like a it, could United actually not make top four? Like, is it really a possibility with Jose Mourinho? Like, they're in 10th place right now, and I'm pretty sure, like, 14 points at this stage of the season is probably one of the lowest point totals for Manchester United in 25 years or something like that, at least since Ferguson became the manager. Um, this is crazy, though. Yeah, they could totally not finish top four, just based on the fact that, you know, Manchester City is going to keep winning games. I mean, that's the difference between, you know, the likes of City, Liverpool, Chelsea, and maybe even Arsenal now compared to Manchester United. United are more prone to lay the eggs against the bad teams. They lost to Brighton, had that loss to West Ham, and against the big clubs, they haven't been that good this season, whereas Man City, they're going to get the job done against the bad teams. They beat Burnley 5-0 this weekend. They're going to win games 4-0, 3-1, beat Huddersfield 6-1 in Week 2. Liverpool will get the wins. they got to improve a little bit on the offense. It's been cold. And now we can say that Arsenal 
is going to get the job done and not lay so many eggs. I mean, this team's on a 10-game winning streak. Granted, they just beat Leicester, who was probably the best team they've played in that winning streak, but... I can I think I can confidently say that Arsenal's going to start beating smaller clubs convincingly because the the football they played on on Monday was art. It was amazing. The goals that they were scoring, Aubameyang and Lacazette are clinical together and that I think is is the difference between that top 4 in Manchester United. Those four teams are going to beat the lower teams in the in the EPL. I think Manchester United is still prone to lay some eggs against those clubs. I mean, that's how we could identify a lot of the great title winning teams of previous years is just that their total domination of the lower, you know, the top, uh, the below the top 6 uh was pretty impressive. I mean, like Chelsea when they won the title the last couple of years, they were just utterly dominant uh against teams like Burnley, Bournemouth, Watford, etc. Um same thing with Manchester City last year and same with Chelsea when they had Jose Mourinho Jose Mourinho when he was leading Chelsea to that title in 2015 I mean his team was the most fright uh, you know the most feared team in England uh, every time they came it was like all right it's over the Chelsea's going to win this game they're going to win it 3-0 and that's going to be the end of that um, definitely Manchester United does not have that kind of aura to them they are definitely pretty weak this season uh, I think just looking at that table to me would concern me more as a Manchester United fan than uh, than anything else. I think Jose Mourinho, he is not the same kind of manager that he was a few years ago. It's clear that he's kind of lost a little bit of his mojo. The Premier League demands more attacking uh, you know, players. They demands a more attacking philosophy. I mean, it's no coincidence that Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, and Tottenham all have very distinct attacking styles to them. Of course, Manchester City uh, has probably the most impressive attack in the entire world. Liverpool, even though they haven't been playing supremely well, they're still they're still so talented in the attack, and they still have such a forward-thinking philosophy that they're able to win those games against Huddersfield 1-0, and they're able to at least eke out positive results even when their attack is not clicking at the highest order. But you don't want to click in the attack in October. You want to click in March and in April when the stakes are really high. So uh, it's it's very interesting to see the fall of Manchester United, and we're going to have to wait to see if that's actually going to happen. Um, before we move on to the Champions League and just kind of previewing that a little bit, any thoughts on the re- relegation zone that you want to talk about? Huddersfield, Newcastle, you know, Fulham is there, Cardiff. Do you oh, think that's going to be the relegation God. battle this year? Southampton, Cardiff, oh, Fulham, Huddersfield, Newcastle? T- totally. I mean, Newcastle is terrible. How did I pick them to finish? I think I picked them to finish in 11th or 10th. Why? They're awful. Huddersfield just can't score four goals this season. Fulham's defense is, is awful. They need a defender. Cardiff is not good either. they best performance this season was against Fulham. And then Southampton's just been flying under the radar as one of the worst teams in the league. So between those five teams is going to be the relegation battle. I don't, I think Crystal Palace has enough talent to not get relegated. I think West Ham and Burnley are going to be fine, but goodness me, Newcastle is Newcastle and Huddersfield are both really, really bad. Yeah. Newcastle is a disappointment. Um, I really hope they don't get relegated that a club with that much history, that much, you know, stature in the premier league, you know, such great players like Alan Shearer, you know, come walking through the yeah. St. James park. That's, that's a disappointment to see them fall so far down. Right. And the, if they, if yeah. they did get relegated, it would be the third time in our lifetime that they got relegated from the premier league. And I still remember as a kid, Newcastle was always one of those teams along with the top six, Everton and like Aston Villa, where it's like, oh, they're never going to get relegated. It's Newcastle. They're in the Premier League every year. They're always competing for, you know, top 10, maybe top six. And 
it could be the third time they get relegated. I think I still have some, I, I don't know why, but I have blind optimism. I think Benitez is still a good coach. I know he's been, I don't think he's been performing very well, maybe he, because he's too worried about the transfer policy, but it, I think Newcastle will eventually recover. They were also pretty poor last season. Obviously, they weren't so deep in the relegation zone last year, but I still think they're going to be able to eke this one out. I think they just have too much, they, they, their coach is too smart, and I think they'll be able to at least get out of the relegation zone. I still think that about Fulham. I think Fulham, maybe I wanted them to be a top 10 team this year, but they're obviously not going to be that way. But a comfortable mid-table finish would be pretty impressive considering their start. I really do think that Southampton is going to get relegated, though. They just have a lot of players that you just look at them and you're like, okay, those players really belong in the championship, not really in the Premier League. And I, it, it's, it's very, I, I'm still hopeful for Newcastle and I'm still hopeful for Fulham. We need teams more, we need more teams like that than we do Southampton and Huddersfield and Cardiff. But that's why, you know, we're going to have to take a look at this later in the year. But uh, it's going to be a very fascinating relegation battle for sure. But uh, let's move on. We're going to talk about the Champions League before we go. Uh, we got some fun games. Instead of doing our picks for, uh, you know, all the Premier League teams that are playing. I just want to ask you, you got the TV on tomorrow. You can only watch two games. What are your two games for the Premier League that you're going to watch? Who are the two teams? Well, it also also depends on what TNT lets me watch, but if I had the freedom to choose which games I wanted to watch... Obviously, United Juventus. I mean that that's that's the game of the week. Let's face it. Ronaldo returning. Um, he's got um, the rape allegations around him. He spoke to the media this early before the game um, about that, and I'm, we'll see what happens with that. But the tensions around him. Juventus is coming off of their first non-win of the season. They tied Genoa and Syria. United that draw against Chelsea. So obviously, that's a must must watch game. And. Ronaldo has had a history of uh, successfully scoring against his former clubs. We saw that uh, with United against Sporting in a Champions League game. We saw him do that with Madrid against United. We'll see if Juve does play Madrid this season. I think it's possible. It just seems like destiny. But obviously, that's a must-watch. And then for Wednesday... Um, I'd probably go with Tottenham PSV. I think that can be an exciting game. That's one of the early games on Wednesday. PSV's attack with Herving Lozano has been pretty good in uh, Eredivisie and Tottenham. They've just been, I, I'm not that impressed with Tottenham this season, honestly. I think they should be doing a lot, lot better, but there's so many other really top-notch games on that Wednesday. Dortmund Atletico, Barca Inter, PSG Napoli. So it should be a good week of the Champions League. Um, it's returning for match day three, so we're halfway through the group stage after Wednesday. Yeah, it should be fun. I mean, I'm excited for, um, this is just more nerdy, I, I'm, I'm excited for Shakhtar against Manchester City. Manchester City's had a pretty wobbly start to their Champions League life. They're utterly dominating England right now but you know in the Champions League you know teams are unafraid of playing Manchester City and they're willing to go after their center backs which is clearly their weakest uh, link in the squad and we saw with Leon when Leon just utterly dominated City in that 3-1 victory at the Etihad uh, last match day City went to Germany to play Hoffenheim and Hoffenheim played really really well against them even though they, they uh, Manchester City was able to get the victory I think Shakhtar Donetsk is one of those teams that can definitely uh, frighten you if you're a big time European club. Uh, they have a lot of Brazilian talent. Fred obviously came from Shakhtar and he now plays for Manchester United amongst a whole host of other players that have come through the Shakhtar system. Um, I think that's going to be pretty fun. I'm really excited for that one. Uh, I think 
you know, I, I agree with you. The Tottenham PSV game is going to be pretty good, but I would, I'm very curious to see the Liverpool Red Star game just because Liverpool has had a kind of, their attack hasn't really shown up yet. They haven't had their really comprehensive, just absolute beatdown of another team. They're going to be playing at home. They're going to be playing Red Star. Red Star, I cannot tell you that I cannot tell you one player that's on Red Star that's of any note. Uh, so maybe this oh, is the come final. on, man. Well, you I gotta mean, know yeah. one player on Red Star here. Let me give you someone. You're gonna hear of him. All right, I mean, give me, how about give me the a top? Name. Richmond uh, Boaki, Ghanaian striker, five goals this season, but he has physical discomfort. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, now we know Balaki, the injured Ghanaian striker. There, I know one player who's not even going to be He's on in the training. pitch. training, so he might play. I, I have heard of one guy, though. Jonathan Cafu sounds familiar. Oh, yeah, I know Jonathan Cafu. I didn't know he played for Red Star. That's interesting. Yeah. Used well, to play for Bordeaux, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, that's interesting. Still, I, I'm just trying to mention that Liverpool definitely has the higher talent level than Red Star oh, Belgrade, well, and it's going to be at yeah. home. And Liverpool should theoretically be able to wipe the floor of Red Star, but this they is going to be better. an interesting game. Well, yeah, they, they better, better score five goals. <laughs> I think it's going to be fun. And also, if Liverpool loses or they draw or they drop points in this, you genuinely have to worry about Liverpool's chances in this very, very difficult Champions League group stage. They're currently in second place with three points. Uh, Napoli's in first with four points. Obviously, Napoli's going to play PSG, which is also one of the marquee games of the week. So... Yeah, this is a, this is a sticky game. They have to win this game, and they have to win this game by a big margin so that they get that extra goal difference. But uh, it should be fun. I'm in, I'm excited. This is going to be a fun uh, week of Champions League, especially you know after the international break. The Champions League week is usually pretty exciting, considering all the kind of poor football you watch in international games. But um, yeah, I think uh, I think that's it. Do you have any other thoughts you want to do before we go? Well, since we took the the big international break uh, pod break. I just wanted to say to all the Germany fans, I'm sorry. This is what it's like to have your team not play well. I know it's been a really long time, 14 years, but yeah, Germany's bad. And they're literally having their worst year ever in the soccer's history. So keep your heads up, German fans. But you might have to play in League B and dominate potentially. But goodness me. There, Germany's awful. That that was an incredible couple of matches. I did not believe that the Netherlands could perform like that against Germany. Um, I think it feels to me that England has just stolen Germany's mojo. You know, England has had like this star system and or this like development system that's now starting to rival the Das reboot of uh, you know the Germany team of the early 2000s. Um, a lot of their English young talent is going to Germany and stealing their secrets. Maybe who knows? Uh, and maybe rubbing off their English uh, horribleness in the international game onto the German players. Uh, this is it's pretty shocking. Um, Germany is pretty poor and I don't think they're going to I cannot believe I'm saying this but I think they're definitely going to be relegated from their group I, I just I don't really see a way out they have to win their final game against the Netherlands and then hope that France just the France or Netherlands just completely you know just craps the bed so I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see Germany playing against teams like Russia or you know like Scotland or something who knows but uh, that's I cannot wait for that but uh, by the way did you see that England Spain game Oh yeah! Oh my England goodness! Was, England was good. I was. I wrote about how you know England's midfield needed a switch. They needed to put Madison and Sancho in. But then I see them play Spain like that, and I'm like, you can keep your midfield how it is, but only if Raheem Sterling plays like that every game. You know what's funny? And Raheem Sterling only, is only 23 years old. Right, and if only he played like that at the World Cup. If he played like that at the World Cup, 
England could have won it or at least gotten to the final. I think I think this England team has a really, really high potential, high ceiling. And that's not even, you know, and this is a, the current squad that, you know, doesn't have all the talent in the world. But, the, you know, the ranks below them, you know, the U21s and the U18s, they do have all the talent in the world. Those are exceptionally talented teams that are just behind this current veteran squad. Maybe by Euro 2020, England could be a genuinely a genuine contender. And I know you made fun of me for being for thinking that England could make the semifinals in 2018. And I wonder if you're going to make fun of me when I say the same thing in 2020. I mean, who knows? But I, Raheem Sterling is only 23 years old. If he keeps improving, if by the next World Cup he's 27 and he hits his football maturity at his peak, he might be one of the best players in the world. And I mean, he already kind of is, but that performance against Spain, he was so focused. His finishing was surprisingly um, incredible. Um, I just loved how England's, they were set up. I loved the way they played. They knew that they couldn't pass anything around the Spanish, but they knew that their counterattacking was going to break them. Scored three goals on three shots on target. I mean, oh, that's what you want to watch. You, that's why I'm really excited for the Nations League. It was games like that where you saw big teams playing with real stakes and actually playing really hard with managers trying to win. I think it was great. Yeah, it was great. And I'm excited to see more Nations League action and more Premier League action. But we got the Champions League first. These are the champions. These are the champions. Well... That's it for today. Uh, thank you for listening. I'm Seven Bailey with Ori Benatar. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and listen to us on Spreaker.com. We'll be back later this week to preview Match Day 10 and to kind of recap what happened in the Champions League. Should be a fun week. But uh, please, read, uh, please read our stuff on thetopflight.com, and uh, we'll see you guys soon.